So it was during the uh, Civil War that the Union Army had surrounded Vicksburg, and it was just really a matter of time before Vicksburg was no longer a Confederate town, but was taken over. And Vicksburg, being a southern town, would have been using Confederate money. So as you think about that, you're surrounded by the Union Army. Um, you know, people have the you know delusions or thoughts about how the war is going. But I think in reality, when it comes to situations like that, you're certainly know you certainly know that your town is not going to be a Confederate town for very much longer, but a Union town. And you're in the last days, maybe, of the Confederacy. You're certainly in the last days of your town being a, a Confederate town. And so you have to start asking yourself the question, if you're in that town, you know, if you've got a lot of money, say you have a lot of Confederate money, you're a rich person in that town or you're just a person in that town, but you have a lot of money. Do you do you start to just suspend your money in the last days? You start you start thinking about, boy, I really need to use this money right now. I really need to get rid of it or because it's going to be most likely worthless at a certain point. When those last days are over, it's going to, money's going to be worthless. And if you're a shopkeeper or a person with goods, do you, do you sell your goods to the person with the money coming in with the Confederate money? Um, is it, do you do that now? Or you know, you, are you hoping that things will all work out? You, know, you have to start asking yourself the question, what do you do with your wealth in the last days? Something we all need. We are in the last days now. Once Christ came, died on a cross, was risen. Okay, we are on the last days. So what do we do with our money in the last days? In James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, you know, I thought about, you know, I'll come back, start off with maybe a, a more light, light on a light note. And then I started reading through James and thought to myself, there are no light notes in James. So we're going to start in chapter 5 because we went through the first four chapters. We're going to start in chapter 5. Verses 1 through 6, it says this, Listen, you rich people, weep. <laughs> See how easy this is, you know? Listen, you rich people, weep. I love this. He just, he just so, like, um, could care less about, you know, who he's writing to. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Your, their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded your wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in a day of slaughter. You You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. How's that for light? In <laughs> okay, if you think about it, we are probably us. Okay, here in our in our in America, but I'll just use Grace Chapel. We are probably among the most fortunate people who have ever lived on this planet, ever walked this planet. If you look at if you look at us in, in the United States, not criticizing. This is not a criticism, just an observation. If you look at us, us in this room, um, and you look at the world, we are among the richest people who have ever lived in the history of humanity. And people in this, everyone in this room. Because if you look at the people around, right now in 2016, around the world and what most people live on, how most people live, um, 
we here would be seen as some of the very richest people in the world. The poorest person in this room is probably in the top five or ten percentile of the richest people in the world. All right. That's just a a fact. So in chapter five, James is added again. Okay, he's added again and he gives a stern, a very, very stern warning to those who would use their wealth in an ungodly way. He's kind of challenging once again. And he's saying, you know, this God has given. We are stewards of what God has given us. And he's challenging those who would use their wealth in an ungodly way. Now, before we go any further, we need to make this absolutely clear. God does not condemn the rich just because they're rich. I know that's kind of sweeping across the world now. And, you know, there's a, you know, if you're rich, you're, you're just bad to start with. Okay. You're just a bad person if you have money. It's ridiculous, but that's the way the world thinks sometimes. God does not condemn the rich just for being rich. If you read your Bible, some of the most godly people who ever lived were rich. Abraham, David, Joseph, right? Philemon. Barnabas, these were rich people. They were very, very rich. That's just to name a few of them. But it's interesting. So we we kind of want to make sure we lay that foundation. God does not condemn the rich just for being rich. But then riches have an impact on our lives that is, 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 it's unavoidable in some ways. If we don't if we don't step back and allow God to permeate every part of our lives, riches can have a profound effect on your life. Being wealthy can have a profound effect on your life. And don't don't put your don't distance yourself from this conversation because you say, well, I'm not wealthy. Well, you are. If you look at it from a perspective of 2016, everyone lives on the planet. Everyone in this room is wealthy. And Jesus said that it is difficult for a rich person to get saved, to be saved. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 to 26, he says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. See, wealth is just another temptation. It's another temptation. Wealth is another way that that another path that leads us away from the Lord. Sometimes it keeps us. Wealth can be another temptation that keeps us from having a either a personal relationship with Jesus Christ or having a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if it's sex or money or power or fame or you fill in the blank. Many people, most people, I would say will not, do not want to give up their desires, whatever it is, whatever you, you, you fill in the blank for you. Most people don't want to give up their desires and so do not have a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Some walk away from a relationship with God when it's presented to them. They don't want a relationship with God because they think to themselves, I must give this up, whatever it is. 
whatever they find their identity in, they find their identity in sexuality, they find their identity in their money, they find their identity in their fame, they find their identity in whatever. It doesn't matter. Whatever they find their identity in, they don't want to give that thing up. It's a desire in their hearts. And so they walk away from a relationship with Christ. So as we move forward here, I, I need to make sure that we talk about the type of person that James, James is addressing in this passage. Okay, there is a a specific type of person that James is addressing. Most scholars would say, as I read through this and read different commentaries, most scholars would say that these are not rich Christians that are oppressing their brothers and sisters. James is writing to to Christians much of, of the book, but he's not talking to Christians here. Okay, he's not he's not talking to to Christians here. Um. And let me, let me explain why I believe that he's not talking to Christians here. This doesn't address, he doesn't address them as brothers as he does in most of the book. Okay. When James wants to address a brother, the brothers and sisters in Christ, he's not, he's not nervous about it. He's not holding back. If he wants to address a believer, okay, and the way he addresses believers, he would outright say, brothers, Okay, he would use that term and he doesn't do that, but he does it in chapter one. He does it in chapter two. He does it in chapter three and chapter four. And then again in chapter five, but not here, not in the beginning of chapter five. He doesn't address them as brothers right up front. So that's number one. If they were brothers and sisters in Christ, he would address them as brothers and sisters in Christ. He doesn't do that. And again, he's not shy. If he, wants to, if he wants to go after the brothers and sisters in Christ, he goes after the brothers and sisters in Christ. Second, there's also no call to repentance in these verses as there is in other verses, other chapters, other verses where he's talking to believers. He's not calling them to repentance here. He's not calling them to repentance. He does it throughout the book, but he doesn't do it here. See, when James is talking to believers, he assumes, and you've seen that throughout the last four chapters, when James is talking to a follower of Jesus Christ, he assumes authority in that person's life because they claim to be a follower of Christ. So when if, when, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, he then acclaims authority in your life and says, if you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then here's how a follower of Jesus Christ has to act. And he calls people to repentance. He calls them to repentance in 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 this passage where it's clear that he's talking to believers. He addresses them. Right. And we've seen this in a pattern. He will address the believers kind of come down. He doesn't he doesn't sugarcoat anything for us. Right. We've seen that. No sugarcoating. And what he does is he calls us to repentance and to change. Repentance and change. So some people may be thinking, I don't understand. What's the difference? You know, it's the Bible and he's talking to everyone. Well, he he, know he's talking to different groups of people at different times. He's not he's not talking to everyone. And there is a difference when he's talking to a person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and a person who does not claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. There is a biblical difference in how you respond and treat people in those two categories. And James understands that a person who has a relationship with Jesus Christ is filled with the spirit of God. The spirit of God prompts us. Okay, the Holy Spirit lives in us, speaks to our hearts. We have Jesus Christ living in us if we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. A non-believer does not have those things. 
Okay, they don't have those things. If a person claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ, they can be held accountable to the word of God in every area of their lives. So if you and I claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, James is saying, I'm going to hold you accountable to what the word of God says, okay? God's word in every area of your life, and he's not worried about it. He comes right out and says, you say you're a Christian, this is how you should be acting. This is how you should be living. He calls people who are not living that way to repentance, and he says you need to change and be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. James is not calling them in these first six verses to repentance he is challenging him he is warning them of judgment when i first read that didn't you get the sense of old testament prophet kind of talk I mean, when i read that i first as i was going through this it, it reminded me of the old testament where when a nation was suppressing another nation or something was just total debauchery that god would send his prophet there and he would call judgment upon them and you know Hopefully they would repent, but he would basically call judgment upon them. That's what James is doing here. He's, he doesn't call them to repentance. He's basically, he's basically saying, I'm warning you of the coming judgment. Christians aren't really even mentioned here until verse 7. Until, until it basically until verse 7, in which James basically says to the believers, to the Christians, he says, be patient. In light of what I just told you in verses 1 through 6, in verse 7, he says, now I want you to be patient. You're going through all these things. He's challenging the rich in what they're doing to the poor believers. And he's saying to the believers in verse 7, he says, in light of what I just laid out there, listen, you need to be patient. You need to wait on the Lord. God is in control, and he encourages them through this process. So it's most likely, or for me it's pretty absolute, that, that he's talking to um, the unbelieving rich person here. The rich were oppressing the poor Christians. In James chapter 2 and verse 6, you get kind of a feel. He says, but you have dishonored the poor. He says, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? See, he seems to be comforting the believers. James is a pretty much well-rounded guy. When, when I need, if, if he were alive today and, well, he's speaking to me through the, his word, through the word of God. When I need to be confronted, he confronts. When I need to be comforted, he comforts. This is the word of God. So he's comforting those people who are going through a difficult times, difficult time. In James chapter five and verse seven, what I just told you about, listen to what it says. Be patient then. Be patient then. Brothers and sisters. He names them. Okay. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. See, they were crying out for help. These poor people were crying out for help and God heard them in James chapter five and verse four. It says this. Look, the wages you have failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord almighty. So now we can all sit back and be comfortable because we know he's talking about someone and not us. Right. You know me better. Uh uh-uh because even even here's the thing biblically even though james is not specifically addressing believers in this in this passage in these verses we need to step step back and ask ourselves what principles in the word of god here can be applied to my life 
what if, what are the principles he's laying out just because he's talking to a specific group of people here? Okay, who are pressing a group of, 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 of believers, who are poor believers, doesn't mean that Jeff Greer cannot read that and say, do I see myself in, in those rich oppressors? Am I, am I behaving in such a way financially that I would, because he's laying out principles here of how we, should, how we should live our lives. Am I living in such a way that I can apply some of these principles to my life? And that's what I want us to do. Apply some of these principles to, my, to our lives. First one, first and foremost, God. Here's a principle. God does not take, God does not like it all. Okay. God gets, gets angry when the strong oppress the weak. And you say, well, I, know, I don't do that. Never. We ne- I never, I never, Jeff never does. You never, never do that. God doesn't like it at all. He is not a big fan in the slightest, okay, of the strong using their strength, financial strength and any strength, bullies, whatever the case may be, from bullying someone in school all the way to taking advantage of someone financially. God is not a big fan of the strong taking advantage of the weak. Genesis to Revelation, it is one of the main topics in the entire Bible that we should not suppress we should not persecute we should not take advantage of people who are the weaker are weaker than we are god doesn't like it at all one of those principles see and because of that james gives us he gives us a sobering list of consequences okay a very sobering list of consequences that will confront those who oppress people who are weaker than they are kind of lays out this this list James chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Let's go back there. He says, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. James, this is really amazing. If you really read that, you kind of read it over. James is so sure of the judgment that is coming upon these rich oppressors that he talks about it like it's already occurred. Look what what he says. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. It's, he is talking about it as it, like it's an, it, is, has, it has already occurred. That's how confident he is in the judgment that is coming upon those who would take advantage of people who cannot defend themselves. He says there, he uses the word corrosion. The corrosion of the rich will be a testimony to, the, to, a, to a life of, of corruption, okay, and mistreatment. It will be a testimony to a life of corruption and persecution. In, in other words, it's like it will be the smoking gun in their life as they, as they stand before God, when they, when, they, when they stand before God in that trial before God. This is the smoking gun in the trial and the judgment before God. How you treated these folks will be a testimony it will be like people, God, God, the father is the judge. You will come before God, the father. And this is like the testimony of all those who have been harmed and mistreated. And this is what James is saying. It's an absolute fact that this is coming. James says it will eat your flesh like fire. 
Now you think, wow, that's, that's really harsh. I want you to think about this, though, because I was processing through this. And this is what I've learned over the last 35 years in ministry. One of the things I've learned is that it is a lot more difficult and a lot more miserable, okay? And, and uh, it, it cre- it, it's, there's greater anguish and greater misery when a person who was once wealthy becomes poor. Then if you're a poor person, okay, I grew up poor. I mean, I told you a story. I, I, you know, I grew up, I was poor, one bedroom apartment in New York with my mom. We didn't have a lot of stuff. And, but honestly, I didn't sit around every day and go, oh, I'm poor, oh, I'm poor. I didn't know I was, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how, what, really how poor I was. I lived my life when, when my friends did some things, whatever I lived. You know, I didn't sit around anguishing over the fact that I was poor. Now, take a person who's had a lot, who's wealthy, okay, who gained it all that way and finds their identity in their wealth. They, 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 they oppress other people with their wealth and all of a sudden that wealth is taken away from them. He says they will wail and weep as those who are on fire. That's the kind of, that's the kind of expression he uses, like the anguish and the misery that is going to cause them because they once had wealth and now they don't. So James says, when poverty strikes, you will weep and you will wail as though you were set on, on fire. And then here's another thing. The, minute, the, the miseries that are spoken of here may be, may be a foreshadowing of what comes later, which is the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Shortly after James, the book of James was written, Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans. Okay, so this may be a prophecy that James puts it out that that's why he talks about it in such absolute terms. That's why, because it may be that in 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed and people were literally weeping and wailing because they had lost everything. But even if this is not a prophecy, even if this is not the judgment that James talks about on this earth, that they, this was coming and then it happened in, his, in, in that time period where people could literally be alive at that time, even if, even if that's not an earthly thing, we can be absolutely sure that judgment would come upon them when they died and they had to stand before God in heaven, just like the rich man in the story of the, the rich man and Lazarus, right? In, in, in uh, Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 30, we have that story of the rich man and Lazarus. I won't go into it now. You can read it. But it's the same thing. James is saying, here's what's going to happen as surely, okay, as the sun's going to rise tomorrow, this is going to come upon you. That's why he uses terms like your, your wealth has rotted. You have, you have, you are, this ha-. it's like it's already occurring. Because a few years later, 70 AD, Jerusalem is destroyed by the Romans. So whether, whether that's part of the judgment or it's after death doesn't really matter. Um, it's going to happen. It's an absolute, it's going to happen. Now, We've been to that. So we need to ask the question, since God does not condemn rich people just for being rich, that's just a biblical fact. All right. Like I said, some of the most godly people in the Bible were very, very rich. So why is it that God is so angry with these rich people? Right. Because it's not just like I don't like rich people. So why is he so angry with these rich people? Well, first, it was how they attained their wealth. It was how they got their money. That's one of the, that's one of the first reasons he's angry. How they got their money. They became rich 
through corruption. They became rich through taking advantage of other people. Look at verse 4 again. It says, look, the wages you have failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. In this case, they withheld wages from the workers and, on their farms, and they basically didn't, they didn't give the people the money that they deserved. So it, it would be pretty easy if you're, if you're a business person, okay, say you own a business or you're, you, know, you work for a business or whatever else. Wouldn't it be easy for you to be successful in business and become very wealthy if I hired all of you and my company, right, and we closed this gigantic deal, and you're all thinking, man, this is great, we're all going to get paid, and I, we closed the deal, the money's in my account and I said you're all fired you're fired and on top of that I'm not paying you for the last months or whatever I'm not paying you oh I work so hard I I, I, I need that money I, I can't pay my mortgage I, I can't pay my family boohoo and you cry me a tear you know his you know the world's biggest violin the smallest violin whatever you know what I'm saying and you're thinking, oh, and I'm t-. you're all thinking I get my lawyer that wouldn't work would it because you get your lawyer right you get your lawyer there's no lawyer to get. The lawyer is probably in cahoots with the, with, the, with the rich there, taking advantage of these poor folks. They couldn't do anything. They were, they were defenseless. So they worked, their, they worked their hands to the bone. They're waiting to get paid so they can feed their families and pay their rents and all the things they had to do. And the rich person basically says, oh, by the way, surprise, I'm not paying you. And there's no way, there's no recourse for them to defend themselves because they're poor. And the rich person would probably just bribe everybody around, which is, if you read the Bible, why God is so against bribes and so against unfair scales and so against, so against, so against, because this is what happens. So these rich people made their money that way. And it's still, it's funny, this still happens in the world today. It does. It still happens in the world today. And I, I go to Nigeria, and people are on strike in Nigeria. They're on strike because these teachers have worked for six months or five or six months waiting to get paid, and they never get paid. They never get their money. So they, they just they go on strike. It, all over the world, all over the world, we can defend ourselves. Even the poorest person in this country, for the most part, can defend themselves against someone who would say, I'm not paying you. Oh, no. You know, all the labor laws and stuff we have here. That person might go to jail. That person might lose a lot of a lot of their resources. So they don't pull it as much here. But around the world, even today, this happens all the time. And just as some people, just as some people then did it, some people now do it as well. Some people get rich by taking advantage of other people. Now, so I want to do, I want to add, I want you to ask yourself, ask yourself, I'll ask myself, do I manipulate others, okay, in order to take financial advantage of them? Do I cheat them? Do I, do I take advantage of other people so that I can get financial gain? I have watched people over the years multiple times, okay, many, many times. I've watched people manipulate the older folks in their family to give them more of the inheritance, talking them out of giving it to someone else and taking it for themselves or getting more or while they're still alive, somehow getting resources for themselves while the other siblings don't know about it and the person passes on, all of a sudden the house is in that person's name. They're like, wait a second. And then everybody starts fighting and guess who gets all the money? The lawyers, right? But the person who cheated at least got some up front because they manipulated the whole situation and got some of it. And, and they just, they'll, they'll destroy their families over it. But they manipulate someone else and manipulate, manipulate the person and manipulate the other family members 
in order to get taken advantage and get more of the inheritance. I, I, when, we, when we first bought Rockefellers, before we bought Rockefellers, we sat down. This is a pizza place in Sharonville that we have recently sold in the last couple of years. And we sat down with the people and they showed us the numbers. And in the numbers, they showed us the food numbers, what the food costs were. And they say, well, you know, here, look at our look at our profit margin here. But here's our food cost. Here's this. Here's our rent. Ah, but what they didn't tell us, they were bringing food from another store, another restaurant they had. They were bringing food in and using that food for that restaurant. So their food prices were low. Their, their food costs were shown to be lower and their profits weren't as high. But they fixed the books a little bit. Ended up fixing it. So it looked like one thing, but it was another. So we got to ask ourselves the question, is that the way I behave in business? Do, 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 do I, we, we as, as Grace Chapel, we started self-sustaining enterprises. We've got to keep asking ourselves, do we behave? We don't. Do we behave in that way? Do I or you, do we behave that way when it comes to business practice that we cheat other people, even just the slightest way? It's so easy to point the finger at someone else and say, yeah, but I'm not the guy who ripped these people off of their, of their, you know, of their 401ks and all that kind of stuff. But, but okay, fine, you didn't do that. But do we do it on a, on a lesser scale? in a way that benefits us but harms someone else. It's so easy to point the finger, but Jeff needs to be pointing the finger here instead of out here somewhere. If this is an area of my life that I need to work on, then I need to point it here. If this is an area of your life that you need to work on, then you need to point the finger here. Because that's what James, the principles here apply to all of us. So that's number one. Number two, the second reason God was angry is because, number one, that they, the, how they accumulated their wealth. But number two, then how they used it, how they spent their money, how they used their wealth. In verse three, it says they hoarded their wealth and spent it all on themselves. So in the last days, they're hoarding all of their wealth and they're spending it only on themselves. And in verse five, it says you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. See, again, James is not it doesn't he doesn't pull any punches. Here's what he says. I mean, this is, <laughs> I love him. He basically says to me, you know, you did that, but you know what you're doing? You're fattening yourself up for the slaughter. He says, you did it. You, you cheated these people out of their wages. You took advantage of the poor and all this kind of thing. And you're walking around thinking you're all that, but all you're doing is you're fattening yourself up for the slaughter. These are these testimonies were used against you when you stand before God. So whether it's on earth or it's in heaven, you're not getting away with it. He's calling down judgment on them. He says, you are just fattening yourself up for the slaughter. It's amazing. These people, whoever dies with the most wins. Well, not necessarily. okay? because if you die with the most, but you did it in such a way that cheated and harmed other people, that is not going to be to your advantage. It's going to be to your loss as you stand before God. It's going to be it's going to it's going to be used as judgment against you, not something for you. Money can be used to transform people's lives and invest in people's lives and change the world. And there's nothing wrong with you living in a great place and doing exciting things and going on wonderful vacations. But if there is something wrong when you hoard it all for yourself, what does it say? They spend it on themselves. And in verse five, you lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Those are different than what we're talking about here. He says you used your power that you, he says you used the power that comes from wealth to oppress other people. And he said, that's not going to go unpunished. Verse six, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Now, the innocent one could mean Christ or it could mean poor Christians. 
I believe it means for Christians. If you really look at it all the way through and, and read it in greater detail in the original, I believe it means the poor Christians. But you know what? It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if it's actually Christ or poor Christians, because in Matthew 25, what does it say? Whatever you did to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. So it doesn't matter at all. If it's, if it's poor believers, it's the same thing, the same result. Whatever you did to one of these least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did to me. And then read the end of Matthew 25, because it's basically what James is saying, too. The judgment is going to be severe. See, the way the rich got their wealth and the way, then the way that they used their wealth to oppress other people caused the people who were being oppressed to cry out. And then God heard their cry and God then responds to their cry. See, in a sermon like this, though, like I've been saying the whole time, it is so easy for me, for us to say, yeah, you know what? Look at those people. He's talking to those people. But that's not that's not going to help us. He's talking to those people, but the principles apply to me. The principles apply to you. So I want to go back to the very beginning again. We are some of the most fortunate people to ever step foot on this planet, period. We are among the richest people, regardless of where you are on the economic ladder in the United States, among the richest people to ever walk the planet. So my question, my final question to all of us is, how are we using our wealth? How are we using the resources that God has given to us? Do we use it to manipulate or as a weapon? Do we use our wealth to manipulate other people or as a weapon, you know, people in your family or in a family close to you, where there's someone in the family who has more resources than others. And that person wields it like a weapon against other people. And they may give things to the family. They may give a car. They may give. They give here. They give there. They give more money. They'll help with this. But at the end of the day, you know, you're beholding to them and they let you know it when you have a different opinion on something. Or if you don't want to agree on this or whatever, they'll let you know it. Maybe they'll hold back next Christmas. <laughs> Everybody else is getting, but guess who's not getting? How about in business? That's fam. How about in business? Do you, do you behave this way in business? It, it happens in the church. We first started Grace Chapel. I don't think I've ever told this story. We first started Grace Chapel, stand right in the little hallway out here. And there were a group of people who came with us only a year or so, year and a half into the church. And they wanted they wanted me to hire a specific person. I knew who the person was. And they wanted me to hire them. And they said, listen, if you hire this person, we have some money. We have money behind it. We just want you to hire this person. And I said, well, that person really doesn't fit the vision and the values and all the kind of things that we where the direction we're going here at Grace Chapel. Well, you know, I'll tell you, there's money. I'm telling there's money behind it. And, he, and the person said, I own I own about 25 acres right on 75. And if you go along with this, he said, I will sell you those acres at eight. It was ridiculously discounted cost. It would have been a steal. It would have been unbelievable to get all that 25 acres on 75. All I had to do was hire this person and. And then what? And then a year later, it's what? Snap your finger and Jeff jumps. Is that what it is? You know, that, that's the, the, the end of that story. I can tell you the end of the story. We don't own land on 75. Why? Because one day I'm going to lay in bed as an old man dying and I will not lay there and think you compromised. You 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 gave in. 
You went along, you whatever, in order to gain something. You can, you know, the ends justify the means in most of this culture now, but that's, they don't biblically. And if something's wrong, it's wrong, and you can't do it regardless of what the outcome may be. You don't do what God's called you not to do. And here's the other reason I don't do that. Here's the reason I don't go along with that, or I won't, I won't, I won't be beholding and stuff to people. How am I supposed to minister to you and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ if I'm worried about what you might do if I don't go along or if you might leave and take your money with you? How am I supposed to minister to you? How am I supposed to help you grow in areas of your life where you need to grow? Maybe your pride and arrogance is overwhelming and I need to sit down and talk to you about that. But, but gee, if you leave, I'm going to lose the money. Or get, maybe I don't want to talk to you about that. How is that helping you? How can I be a shepherd? How can I be a pastor? How can I invest in your life? I really can't invest in your life. I have to worry about all those kinds of things. So I decided early on, early, early on, that's not the way we're going to live our lives here at Grace Chapel. One other couple other things. Do you glorify yourself with your resources? Do you glorify yourself? Are you living in earthly indulgence? Let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with living in a beautiful house. Period. There is nothing wrong with having beautiful possessions. This is not about judging people and how much they have. This is an attitude of the heart. And the question is, am I giving back in proportion to what God has given to me? Are you giving back in proportion to what God has given to you? I find it so interesting how some people who have less resources judge people with more resources and how much they think they should give when those people don't give anything or less than anything. The people walk around judging the people with the resources, the rich, the the people here judge the people here because those people should give more. But the people who are judging them give nothing or next to nothing. This is an attitude of the heart. This isn't about how many resources, how much we have or how big our houses are. It's an attitude of what God has given me and what should I give back in proportion to what God has given me. I talked to someone recently, okay, who was going on and on about a rich person, how the rich in general should give more, pay more in taxes and how they should give more to charity. The rich people, all those rich people, and he was going on about the rich people and how they, and I wasn't arguing with them. I was just listening to the conversation and, and I, but I asked him and not in an argumentative or sarcastic way. I, I really didn't. I said, so, what, what do you give? Like, how, you know, how, where are you, how are you investing? What do you invest your resources in? Silence. So the person said, I'm an educator. I give back that way. That's what I said. Ah, no, I, <laughs> I thought to myself, honestly, I didn't say it because I don't want to be rude. I thought to myself, do as I say, not as I do, right? Right. Let's go judge the other guy for he, he, this guy, this guy, that, those people, those people, those people, those people, those people, those people. That's what we need to be doing. This is about an attitude of the heart. This is not about ripping on rich people or ripping on poor people. This is about James saying, this is how you need to live your life. So I want us to look into, I want us to look into our own hearts. Lastly, do you find your identity in your wealth? I've known, I've known of Rich people who have become poor and it changed them. It changed who they were. They were rich. They were one person. They became poor. They became a different person. They lost. They lost so much of their identity. They lost themselves. I've watched poor people become rich and it's even worse. The arrogance and the pride, the smugness, 
the way they treat other people once they were they were they were so much better off when they were in this position. But then they got in this position and all of a sudden they're dripping with they walk around like, oh, they were. I mean, it's amazing. One of the one of the people I remember turned they turned their seat around. You know, instead of sitting here, they turned around, they leaned their hands like that and they just were sitting like this and just and they were and I want I wanted to throw up. I really did. I confronted them, too. But the arrogance, it changed them. Why? Because of their wealth. Your wealth should not be your identity. Your wealth should not be your identity. Whether you're, there's nothing wrong with being poor. Let me just say that, okay? There's no, there was nothing wrong with my mother and myself being poor. We were nothing wrong with that. It wasn't sinful. It wasn't unbiblical. We were just poor. We got along fine. We, we, it, was, it was okay. I didn't, I didn't fret about it all the time. Nothing wrong being poor. Nothing wrong being middle class. Nothing wrong with being rich. They divide us into, into groups now like it's ridiculous. There's nothing wrong with that. But it cannot be your identity. Being poor is not your identity. Being middle class is not your identity. Being wealthy beyond your dreams is not your identity. Our identity is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, whether we're poor or middle class or we're rich. We need to find our identity in Jesus Christ. That's where we need to find all of our identity. Bow your heads with me as we close. This is one of those topics that that relates to all of us on some level. We need to look, as we close off here, we need to look into our own hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to convict us so that we can bring about the change necessary. So as we pray, I want you to just be thinking about this and asking yourself, how can I change? Where in my life am I using my resources to negatively affect other people? How am I putting myself first and how am I wielding it as a weapon or an act of manipulation or oppressing other people? Whatever the case may be for my own benefit. We all do it on some level. The only question is, where is that? How do we change? How do we repent as Christians and how do we change our behavior? So just be thinking about that as I pray, Lord, help us to look into our own hearts. Help us to see money as a tool to be used for your glory, not as a weapon to be used against other people. Everything belongs to you. You have given it to us. We are stewards of what you have given to us. I pray, Lord God, that we would be good stewards of what you have given to us. The resources you have entrusted to us while we're here on earth in the last days. Help us to use it wisely to glorify your son, Jesus Christ, and to impact the lives of others. That's what you want. And we want want to give it to you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great, great day.